Whenever I visit with parishioners, I ask the same question at the end of our time together. What is your top box prayer need? What can I be praying for you most specifically? And 90% of the time, the answer is a question of calling. I don't know what God is calling me to do in this next season of my life. And this question of calling is difficult for Christians because we want to be obedient. We want to follow our Lord in what He wants for our lives. And that's always confusing, mixed in with our own desires and our own sense of giftedness and what the community around us is telling us we should be doing. I love to teach on calling. I love to teach ordinary Christians how to listen for God's call in their lives. When we begin looking at the question of calling, we first have to identify that there are three vocations that a Christian needs to recognize. The three vocational callings, first, the general call is what every Christian is called to in following Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This general call is the call to follow Jesus. And along with that call to follow Jesus, we hear the words of Matthew chapter 22 that we say every Sunday at the beginning of our liturgy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So this most general call, this most vital basic call that is shared between all of us is the call to follow Jesus, and in following Jesus, to love God and to love my neighbor as myself. And this is an important corrective as we begin this discussion on vocation, because so often, think about how we greet each other in our Western culture. Normally, after introducing ourselves with our names, what's the next piece of information we share? We share our profession, our vocation, our work, our job, what we do. We wrap up far too much of our identity in our work and in our jobs and our specific vocations, which I'll talk about in just a moment. And so it's important to begin with by saying this healthy corrective, my identity is found in this general call, my call to follow Jesus. But there is a specific call as well, the specific vocation, the specific work, the unique calling on my life. And this is specifically what we're focusing on mostly in this teaching today the specific call, how God is calling you uniquely in this season to live and serve him. Galatians chapter one, verse one, we read, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. This is specific call. This is what we normally mean when we talk about a person's vocation. That specific work, job, task given to them for this season. Paul understands himself to be an apostle, a sent one, one sent as an authorized representative of the gospel. And Paul says that this vocation, this specific call does not come through man or by man, but comes from God himself. And this is the specific call that we so often are searching for in our lives. What is God specifically calling me to in this season? The words of Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before 
You were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. But how did Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jonah and Daniel and all these other prophets throughout the ages understand that this was their specific call from God? How did they know to the core of their being that this was in fact the specific vocation God had given them? I would argue that if we look at the scriptural narratives and in this teaching today, that it's actually not as hard as we think it is to discern that specific calling in our lives. If we pay attention to our loves, what God is doing in our hearts by the Holy Spirit and his inner witness, by looking at our giftings, the way God has wired us, and by looking to our community, looking to have confirmation for those from those around us who know us and who love us and are mature and can listen with us. Thirdly, we have immediate call, the call of how we live out our vocation day by day and hour by hour. In Acts chapter 3, we read this story that now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter, directing his gaze at him, as did John, said to him, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, this is a miraculous healing story on Peter and John's part, but it's a beautiful example of immediate call. They were responding faithfully to God's call in that particular moment. They were on their way to temple. They were living into their specific calls as evangelists and apostles. But along the way, they bumped into a man asking for help. And hearing the Holy Spirit convicting their hearts that there was a specific way they were called to respond, they lived into that immediate call. And we need to remember this, that though we can get very clear on our specific calls, Immediate calls will come in on a regular basis into our lives, and we need to be careful not to be so distracted in our specific vocations that we miss those immediate opportunities to respond in a unique and special way called by God. That's immediate call. But of course, the reason we're engaging in this conversation today is to delve into the question of specific call. How do we do this well? How do we pay attention to God's calling in our lives? How do we hear the voice of Jesus in the midst of this question of calling? Well, first we need to focus on our loves. We discern our vocation through our loves. It's a telling exercise for you to answer this question, just you, not you and your group together. I mean, you can discuss this in your group after, but answer this question. When you look at Jesus' earthly ministry, those three years of ministry recorded in the gospel, which activities and tasks do you think Jesus loved the most? And don't give the pious answer of, oh, dying and rising again was what he loved the most. Yes, we know he did that out of love for us, but when you look at his tasks, the things he did, the things that occupied his time, what do you think he loved doing the most? It's kind of like a Rorschach test. The way you answer it will tell you something very much about your own set of loves. The way I answer the question is I think Jesus loved the most sitting around table, 
teaching and having a scribe or a Pharisee try to correct him in matters of the law. I think he really loved those moments where he had a group gathered and someone would raise some kind of objection to what he was teaching and it provided him a teachable moment to engage them and to expose what was not true or not healthy or not godly and show them the way forward. See, my answer demonstrates a love for dialogue around theology, for the discussion of ideas, for engaging with truth. It says a lot about what I love and how I discern my own sense of calling through my loves. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, we read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word compassion is the word splanknon in the Greek, and it means being torn up inside. Jesus, when he saw the crowds harassed and helpless, had deep compassion. He was torn up on the inside about their plight. It's a picture of the heart and emotional state of Jesus that we need to, as Christians, pay attention to what the Holy Spirit is placing on our hearts, how he's convicting us with our feelings. Now, feelings can lie. We don't want to be held captive to our feelings. But in the words of Ignatius of Loyola, it is in fact through our feelings often, through the affect, through our loves, our affections, that the Holy Spirit actually guides us with what Ignatius and others would call his inner witness. Gordon T. Smith in his book, The Voice of Jesus, says this about the work of the Holy Spirit convicting us through inner witness with our loves. On the one hand, we must reject the way of the rationalist, who believes that emotion is inherently excessive and unreasonable. Those who suggest as much do not understand the nature of the human person. On the other hand, we must not be susceptible to every passing feeling. Ignatius of Loyola, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards would call us to use our heads, think critically, and consider what is occurring emotionally, discerning what is truly of God. And this work of examining our affections, paying attention to those loves which are within us, discerning whether they're truly loves and affections that come from God or whether they're coming from the wrong place, this is the work of the Holy Spirit working in the Christian's life. In other words, John 16, verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. So pay attention to your loves. Pay attention to your affections. Take time to journal and ask yourself, what do I truly love? What really gets my attention? This is part of how we discern specific vocation. But also, we need to discern our gifts. Gift inventories are enormously popular in churches. You've probably done one. They can be very helpful where you fill out the questionnaire and at the end it tells you based on 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Romans chapter 12 or Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 that you've got these certain gifts or at least here's your top gifts and here's your lowest gifts. Again, a helpful part of discerning specific calling. God knew what he was doing when he fearfully and wonderfully knit you together in your mother's womb. But these gift lists, these charisms, these works of the Holy Spirit uniquely placed in us are not meant to limit us to job descriptions, but to more indicate how God has wired us. The 
centers out of which we do ministry, the centers and core values of our lives, the way we see the world and uniquely are gifted to interact in the world. If you have a high gift in mercy, it doesn't mean that your only job will be doing mercy ministry. It means that every job you do will be done out of that center of mercy that you will approach every task in your life as a Christian with mercy at its core, or prophecy, or teaching, or exhortation. All of these different gifts are the very center wiring. That's probably the best way to describe it, our wiring, the way God has wired and made us to function. Anyone that's been married for more than a few days knows that everybody's wired in different ways, and figuring out how to appreciate and live into another person's wiring, how to learn to live together with different wiring is part of what it means to be in Christian community. And it's the reason why some can excel in unique ways in one area where in another area they would fall down and vice versa, because out of our wirings, we're able to operate. This is what I think biblical gifting is really all about, our wiring. And it's important that we pay attention to the way we're wired and don't try to live into a different person's kind of wiring. We should mature and grow in all of these areas. The charisms, the gifts of the Holy Spirit poured into our lives, each and every one of them in different measures. But it's important we pay attention to living into our wiring. Let me give you an example. A number of years ago, I had a leadership coach I hired when I was still rector in Ottawa. And I'll never forget one of the conversations we had. He asked me, what exhausts you the most in your vocational life? And I thought about it and said, complaints complaints about the ministry, complaints about decision the church has made, complaints. And he said, okay, so when complaints come to you, how do you respond? And I said, well, I try to empathize with the person who's bringing the complaint, and then I try to counsel them pastorally. He said, oh, so when complaints come to you, you operate out of a pastoral care gifting. And I said, yeah. And he said, how high ranked is pastoral care in your gift mix? I said, well, it's kind of medium to low. Let's be honest, kind of low. And he said, your highest gifts are in areas of vision and preaching and teaching and strategy. I said, yeah. He said, so why, I'll never forget this, why in your hardest moments would you choose to operate out of your weakest gifts? The next time a person came to my office, just a few days later, to complain about some decision we made in the church. Instead of my usual pastoral care mode, give them a cup of tea and trying to understand their pain and give them some pastoral counseling going forward. Instead, I was kind and loving and I still gave them a cup of tea. But after they raised their concern and I sought to understand them, lovingly, I again shared the vision. I said, let me remind you why we made this decision and why it's essential to our view of what God and his kingdom are doing in our midst. And I laid out the vision for them. And I opened the scriptures and explained our reasoning and thinking. And they walked out, not completely convinced, but pretty happy, satisfied. And here's the key, I walked away, not feeling exhausted at all, but feeling exhilarated because I'd been operating out of my central, strongest giftings. I was actually operating the way that God had fearfully and wonderfully made me. This is how our gift mix helps us again understand our specific vocation and calling. But finally, we don't do this in a silo. We don't do this in a vacuum. We don't do this alone. 
We are Christians. We are a body, a body of believers. And so the third way that we help to understand our specific calling is to understand community and confirming our gifting, confirming our loves, confirming this specific calling in community. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, we read, While they, the believers, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. It's essential that within the life of the church that we cultivate friendships with mature Christians who know us, who we can meet with and can mentor us, and can listen and help us listen together with God. It's a kind of informal spiritual direction we offer to one another. It's not about us going to another person and saying, oh, can you tell me what my specific vocation is? Be careful. If you ask that question, someone may well give you one and it will tell you more about them than probably about you. But instead, you can go to a Christian mature friend who knows you and say, help me listen together to God. And part of their job is to ask whether you've looked at the question from the right angles, whether you've been reading the right scriptures, whether you've taken enough time confirming your sense of call in community. You know, it's fascinating that in the Quaker church, they have what they call clearance committees. Richard Foster writes about these clearance committees in a couple of his books, where as you're about to make a discernment moment, make a big decision, and everything from a specific vocation, or I think in the Quaker communities, they do this with marriage as well is that you will then go before a clearance committee established by that particular church fellowship, mature elders in the faith, and you'll sit with them and share what you're thinking. And they won't tell you yes or no, but they will certainly tell you whether you've been asking the right questions, whether you've taken the amount of time, and whether there's other things you should consider. It's called a clearance committee. And I think that in our lives, each of us needs to find friends and companions in the way who can be for us a kind of clearance committee, who we can go to and say, here's what I think I'm hearing from the Lord. Sometimes these clearance committees can be difficult to listen to because we want to run ahead really fast. Sometimes they will strongly confirm what we're saying, and that can even in itself be kind of scary. You begin to wonder, has everyone been thinking the same thing about me for some time, and I'm the last one to know about it? I close with this story, that when I finally had a sense of discerning a call into vocational full-time ministry as a pastor, as a priest, it was Monica and I sitting together three months into our marriage, uh, one Sunday afternoon, having visited lots of churches over several weeks and not being satisfied with any of them. What we would spend Sunday afternoons doing was listening to Paul rant about everything that was wrong in that particular church fellowship we visited. Why did they do it this way? Why did they do it that way? Why can't they figure these things out? Finally, Monica turned to me after three months of this early into our marriage and said, so when are you going to go to seminary? And at first I thought she was just joking, kind of like, well, you know, it's one thing to be an armchair pastor and complain about things, or when are you going to go and do it? And I looked at her and said, what are you talking about? And she was quite serious. She said, no, when are you going to go to seminary? And I told her, I said, well, I'm never going to go to seminary because we talked about this years ago because we had when we were first dating and she had along the way told me that there was no way she was ever going to be a pastor's wife. I reminded her of this and 
She said, I never said that. And I said, yes, you did. I remember where we were standing. And she said, well, I can't remember saying it. And if I did, I didn't know what I was talking about. You are clearly called to pastoral ministry. And so what did I do? I listened to my wife, a mature Christian in my life, and I started calling some friends, some pastors I knew, some friends, over the next few days. And every single one of them confirmed that call. In fact, most of them said, oh, finally, you're figuring it out. I was saying, have you guys been writing memos about me all to one another? I'm the last one to figure this out. But I'll tell you, it was an amazing thing, terrifying in many ways to face this sense of call. But it was amazing then to hear these other believers around me confirm that sense of call. And with that, I was able to move forward in faith and courage. And that's where I want to leave you. This whole process of discerning our specific vocations, understanding, first of all, that we have a general vocation. Never forget it. It's the most vital of all, to follow Jesus, to love God, and love your neighbor as yourself. And there's going to be those immediate calls, those moments when things just come up in our day-to-day life. And don't get distracted by your specific call so much that you can't respond in immediacy to what God is placing in front of you in this particular circumstance. But do press into this question of specific call. This is where we do find our heart's desires. We find satisfaction in offering our best to the Lord in ministry and service to our family, to our friends, to our communities, to our churches. But as we do so, my prayer is that you will be able to pay attention to your loves, what the Holy Spirit is putting into your heart, your affections, and discern that before him. That you'll be able to pay attention to your gifts, not just a sense of job description, but really how you're wired, wired, fearfully, and wonderfully made. But then finally, what is your community telling you? Do you hear that word of confirmation? Because my prayer for each and every one of us is that we would hear this sense of specific call so clearly, with such clarity, that it would produce in us then the courage to follow that call. Ephesians 4, chapter 12, tells us that all this is done in order to equip the saints, you, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And that's my prayer for you, that through this teaching, through your group discussion, through your prayer time before the Holy Spirit, that you would feel afresh and with clarity that sense of call for how you're called to serve the Lord in this season and for His glory. Amen. 